Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. David, who do we have right now? Well, John, it's we're at Health 2021. Uh, we're doing a series of podcasts here. And the good news about being health at Health as opposed to just wandering down the street is you have some big folks here like CEOs of major organizations. In this case, we have Pat Garrity. He is the leader of Florida Blue and Guidewell. So we are in a good spot today. Welcome, Pat. Pat, can you tell us a little bit about kind of how big is Florida Blue and like, and what is Guidewell? Because you you actually are, you have two titles there. What what is that all? How should we think about that? Well, first of all, thank you, uh, David and John. Happy to be with uh, both of you today. Uh, Yeah, Guidewell is the holding company and it sits over the top of Florida Blue, which is the 78-year-old uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield plan in the state of Florida. But we have six other businesses that all sit under Guidewell uh, as the holding company, and it's a mutual insurance holding company. But uh, over the 10 years I've been there, we moved from being an $8 billion business to now we're just shy of $21 billion business, and we're doing business in 45 states. So uh, wow. it, we are a sizable undertaking at this point. So you're obviously a very big organization, but also I think difference in terms of culture and mission from some of the big, you know, sort of for-profit plans that are out there. Do you have a distinctive role or is it just, um, you just kind of one among many out there? David, we think we have a very distinctive role. As a matter of fact, we have doubled down on being local. Uh, So we divide Florida now into nine different regions, sub-regions, if you will. And we are very, very locally oriented. So what does that mean? It means we understand the delivery system at an intimate level. We understand what's happening in that community. And we're deeply engaged with the things that make a difference for the people we're serving, either by uh, the ethnic makeup or the cultural norms in a given part of our state. So we're not taking things at a vanilla. Healthcare is the same everywhere. Healthcare is intensely local. So, Pat, maybe talk a little bit. Is it Sanitas? What was the, what's the, you did a primary, there's a f- huge chunk of Florida is Spanish speaking and, and, and Latin culture. How did you sort of adapt to that particular challenge? Because cultural relevance is, is essential to actually care. Cultural relevance is incredibly essential to, to the right kinds of care. So in the uh, issue that you're discussing, Sanitas, uh, they're based in South America uh, we connected with them and brought them to the United States to deliver health care in our state. I think it's the first time it's ever happened anywhere in the country. And the first year of the ACA, we had three clinics open, you know, got a small penetration of membership. Today, we have 20, uh, 250,000 members and over uh, 30 medical groups with them across the state. And we continue to grow. And, and, and how, do, how do you think about mission and versus margin? I mean, you very early on jumped on the ACA and expanding healthcare as part of, there were a lot of, I, we know a lot of our colleagues who are you know, CEOs either pulled back or threatened to pull back or threatened to pull back and pulled back. What, why, why, what, how did you come to the decision to lean into the ACA and what's your experience been? You know, we're a mission-based company. And so it is critical to our mission that we're serving all parts of Florida. And so when we looked at the ACA, we said we have to be in all 67 counties, all products, in order to fulfill against our mission. 
So we made a commitment to be all in for the ACA, and we understood that bill inside and out. And that was a challenge. I mean, it's a very complicated bill. And to understand how to position your organization was a, quite an undertaking. Most of the players were in the first year in Florida. Um, players that I guess I'm allowed to name, like United and Aetna and others, Cigna, they all left after one year. Uh, not having good experience there. Meanwhile, we grew. We grew uh, repeatedly. And so we have now about 1.2 million people that we serve in the ACA in Florida. And so it was really critical to us that we understood them at a local le local level. We really understood what mattered to them. We worked through churches, community-based organizations. We really deeply embed in our communities And we've got these retail centers, which you may be aware of. So we've got almost 30 retail centers where people can access us face-to-face. -face. And I thought it was critical that we change who insurers were looked at. How, how are we engaging the community? And so we moved from thinking of ourselves as an insurance company to we think about ourselves as a health solutions company. And when you are right there in the community and you're face-to-face -face with your customer, You are taking on their challenges each and every day. And so that was critical to us. And making the shift to being a retail company from a B2B company, we really em embedded ourselves in the urgency that it takes to be a great retail company. So I don't compare myself against other blue plans. I don't compare myself against other plans in other places in the country. I look to be the very best customer service organization for our customers. So we went to NPS scores and moving the dial on that and comparing ourselves to the very best service organizations we could find. Do you think one you of the, go, go I was going to say, Pat, you know, one of the contrasts between uh, this administration and the prior one was the way they see the ACA as actually something as, as a tool against uh, COVID. And there was a reopening of the marketplaces for the ACA to go back to the, the conversation before. You were, I think, a big proponent of that. How, you know, how did it actually work out? What did you see with the special uh, open enrollment period, for example? You know, David, if I step back and say, did I think the ACA was the perfect bill? Absolutely not. But it's the bill we have. And we have all invested tremendous amounts of money in getting the ACA in place and making it work for our customers. So, yeah, we saw uh, open enrollment actually grow significantly over the course of the year. Um, I think it was a safety net for people. Without the ACA, a lot of people would have been in trouble without coverage and very, very much at risk. So we look at it as a bill that can be improved and should be improved over time. Uh, you know, we advocate for things like we need to age adjust the subsidy inside the ACA because we need healthier, younger people to be in the pool. Everybody gets a benefit from healthier, younger people in the pool. Older people get a lower premium because healthy young people come into the pool. And government can do that. They can make a difference in how they do the subsidy, but they haven't yet done that. But we continue to advocate for it. How did you navigate, Pat, through the last year of COVID with all of the unpredictability of the virus? I mean, you've got to, you've got to underwrite to an annual number. You've got federal regulations on one side around open enrollment and a lo local need to actually make sure that you're sort of actuarially sound, and you've got this really unpredictable virus. Can, and, and obviously, the, or maybe not so obviously, the experience in, in, in Florida was 
was was very unpredictable, and as was the government's response. I mean, it's it, it's not uncomplicated. How did can you talk a little bit about how you navigated those challenges and what you did for patients? You know, it was extraordinarily complicated environment. In fact, in the first year, 2020, we had a financial, if you will, advantage in that people were putting off care. And so you had a lot less services happening. And financially, we were positioned to benefit from that. But as a mission-based company, it wasn't our goal to benefit from that. So we gave back to customers. We cut premiums where we could. We actually extended credit to people. We had people that were being covered four and five months without having paid their premium to us. Now, in the ACA, after 30 days, you can push the risk back to providers. But we didn't do that. We said, no, we are going to foot that bill to the tune of about $75 million that we covered that could have ended up back on providers. We thought it was the right thing to do, and we wanted to serve our customers in a way that we thought was appropriate. I think it also gave us a platform. When you take those kinds of positions, it gave you a platform to talk about wearing a mask, social distancing, cleaning your hands, and then vaccines. So we've led an uh, all-out assault, if you will, uh, organizing 135 CEOs to take a position supporting masks and social distancing in the first wave and then supporting vaccines in the second wave. So we didn't wait for other voices to be there. We led that um, charge, if you will. And I think we earned that by being out there and contributing back to the community. The second part of that is this year, we actually, along with a lot of other people in our sector, are getting hit hard. And in Florida, very hard. So with the Delta variant and now uh, services at facilities back to normal, uh, you find that we're, we're having the short end of that financial stick. But you know what? As a mission-based organization, we can weather that and we'll be back more into what I would call a normal cycle in 2022. So, Pat, in, a, in, a, in, a, in this political environment, taking on that mask and vaccine mandate or mission um, couldn't have been a casual discussion at the boardroom or a casual decision. How did you, how do you think about that in a, in a, in a relatively hostile Tallahassee and in parts, other parts of, uh, of the state when the state is actually really split pretty dramatically by county and state and different politicians? How do you think about that? Well, one of the things I take pride in is that in the entire time that uh, President Obama was in place, uh, I was working between President Obama and Governor uh, Rick Scott. And so we found a place to work with both parties and figure out how to do the best for our customers. We look at it and say, how do we advance the ball for the people that we're serving? How does our organization look like the people that we're serving? How do we think about improving health and health quality in our state. And we'll work with anybody who's willing to do that. Now, you know, granted, there are very different views on some of these subjects, but mostly we have succeeded by being transparent, by being candid, by having private conversations to tell people where we're going to differ with them, um, but not to avoid that uh, dialogue, but actually to engage it. Hey, you took the, the fight. One of the, the fight. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about on Care Talk is the role of the home 
And you're mentioning you know, facilities being back to normal. You're mentioning getting hit hard from a cost perspective now. And what we've seen with COVID is an opportunity to make some changes, not just on sort of telehealth, but also you know, just different site of care. How does the role of the home play in uh, at Florida Blue and Guidewell more broadly? And, and how do you see that changing? Yeah, it's an important part. And uh, one of the things we did now almost five years ago was buy Pop Health which is an at-home service, so it takes care of critically ill people in their home setting. And when you combine technology to bringing a clinician to the home setting, uh, it was you know, well-positioned to uh, look at this movement to the home. And so we were a bit ahead of the curve, I would say, in doing that. I think we were a bit ahead of the curve as well in buying new directions so that we now integrate behavioral health and physical health. And so we've tried to anticipate where is the next thing happening in healthcare. How do we get ahead of that? And how do we make sure that we're serving our customers well? And I think the move to home, the move to integrate behavioral health and physical health are all examples of trying to be ahead of that curve with our, with our members and customers. How do you, New Directions is obviously the, the, the mental health, behavioral health organization. And historically, most of the care has been really separated. As you said, physical versus mental. How do you pull that integration together. Uh, it was a big move for Guidewell and Florida Blue, so clearly you have passion for it. We're in the middle of a mental health crisis. How do you, how do you bring that, those two sides together? You know, I think a lot of it is about education and awareness, and it's connecting what you know in that behavioral health space to your primary care delivery assets. Because the primary care is often the first person who's going to see uh, the early signs of what people need in the behavioral space, but they're not often not well-trained. They're not necessarily looking for the signs, but when you bring information and education to them through our uh, connection to um, new directions, we now have a better informed primary care physician, and certainly where we have assets that we have uh, control over, if you will, like Sanitas and the other medical groups that we have on the front line, like Florida Health Care Plan and Capital Health Care Plan. In those situations, we can do much better job of educating that frontline primary care provider so that they can signal to the behavioral health side and back and forth movement of information and to be proactive with our customers. So, you, so you've been uh, you know, ahead of the game on the, the idea of integration of behavioral and, and physical health and, and now have actually been, been implementing it. And as John mentioned, there's this, you know, this crisis of, uh, of mental health right now. There's also a tremendous crisis. There already was a crisis. Now it's, I think, almost impossible to find mental health provider for somebody. So it's great to have the insight. It's great, you know, to say we can make primary care work better and it can be the gateway and so on. But what do you actually do when there aren't any mental health professionals around? Yeah, so the lack of mental health professionals is a serious issue, and that's one that doesn't get solved overnight. But I think there's also some, some ways of using technology that can help extend a, uh, a, a provider's uh, you know, time and effort in the community. So one of the pickups we saw during the pandemic was virtual behavioral health. And, and that was uh, uh, you know, widely accepted through our membership, particularly if somebody had an initial connection to a provider, they were very willing uh, to be remote with that provider. So, you know, there's some of those technology pieces, but I think there's going to have to be a, a commitment to um, making sure we've got enough providers out there. David, I think one of the things that Pat pointed out, just to give you an, one example, 
you know, primary care doctors who do not have psychiatry or, or psychiatric or behavioral as a primary boarded background are actually the most common prescribers of mental health meds. And so I do think there's merit if you can integrate that information and really make it more liquid and, and provide them support because primary care providers are overwhelmed that they are the first barrier or bridge to people getting better. And you're seeing, you see it in the prescribing pattern. So I do think that's because we can't, we can't manufacture psychiatrists I mean, and psych social workers fast enough. There's no doubt about it, John. I think also from the primary care provider standpoint, which is also hard to get into, there's a lot of people that are there and there's an underlying issue is depression as opposed to something else that they might prescribe for. So it's really helpful to have it. And I'm just thinking about how do you actually make it happen? Because the, sort of the remote visit is one thing, but unless you use some sort of technology, some kind of a multiplier, I, I don't see how you, you serve the demand. Well, you, you are in the People's Republic of Massachusetts. That's where you live, which has the highest number of psychiatrists per capita in the country and the longest wait times. So, Pat, is it possible you'll start to participate in the Massachusetts market? I think that last statement was made by John. And let's make let's that just, let's clear. Under, let's on, underline on, that. Yeah. I, just want, I just want to say that that's John. Let the record no, show. <laughs> let the record show. Massachusetts is not part of my territory, <laughs> and I don't intend to be in the Massachusetts marketplace. But I think you know what we're really touching on here is really the reinvention of the entire system, right? So primary cares have to have a team of extenders. You want to have community health workers, you want to have nurses, you want to have um, pharmacists, you want to have lots of people that are engaged in the primary care continuum so that primary cares can do the more involved parts of, the, of their role. And so that's a piece of then the behavioral health piece that comes out of it. So it really is reinventing how we think about care and prevention. Do you think that you will, like some of the larger players, buy and build like United's doing as many primary care doctors as you can. I mean, they're vacuuming up primary care practices around the country. Is that a, a John, sustainable hear, or a John, smart? I want to hear John's sound effect for the vacuuming. <laughs> Our sound engineers, I have to give Whoosh. him a warning. Yeah, that it's coming. But, 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 but Pat, is that a sustainable or a smart strategy for health insurers? So we obviously are growing our connection with Sanitas. That's a large medical practice that we have a big investment in, and we're going to continue to grow that. I think it's going to be important for us to have that as a counterbalance to what we find in the in the broader marketplace. There are still going to be players that we can work with, but we when when we have what we've built around Sanitas, it is differentiating and it is a benchmark. And so if we can't get that on the outside, we'll continue to grow what we are doing on the inside. Um, but I, I think there are going to be opportunities to to work with other players in the market. So, Pat, you've, you've handled all of these, uh, you know, controversial issues with, with such a plum that it makes me want to ask something that's not on our uh, preparation, which is, how about drug prices? Anything to say about that? How about drug prices? Look, I, you know, I happen to believe that, uh, you know, we, for, for the longest time now, have not allowed our Medicare program to negotiate for price. I do think that has to happen. I think uh, pharmaceuticals are going to have a a new day in front of them when we're talking about real uh, negotiation on price. Um, I happen to believe that some of the proposals that were out there last year uh, that looked at comparing uh, pricing to some of the farm prices, uh, those things have to happen. I mean, they have to happen because the marketplace is out of whack on pharmaceutical pricing. And so I, I, I think those uh, types of approaches are, are coming and they're real. 
We, we, we welcome that. We've been pounding on Big Pharma and their ability to price at will with, with some regularity on this show. So, Pat, I'm glad you're joining the fight with us because even having helped lead a PBM, I realize that you cannot, you cannot negotiate with one hand tied behind your back where they can up improve, just in, increase the price at will a couple of times a year. It's, 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 it's extremely hard, and I think we've reached that point. So, David, I think with that, we should wrap. We've got, we've, we've got, we've got an ally to our cause. I think, I think <laughs> it's right. Well, Pat Garrity, president and CEO of, of GuideWell and Florida Blue, thank you very much for joining us here at the Health 2021 for our Care Talk podcast. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Please subscribe to Care Talk. And Patrick, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it.